Alright guys, welcome back to Revive School. Man, I just feel like I've been doused with like literally uh, a massive uh, fire hydrant this whole week. Do you not feel like, Kevin, this whole week it's just been like... <laughs> well, you are starting the fourth book. We're starting a fourth book. Have we ever done that? I don't think we've... Last week we did four books. Oh yeah. Today we're going to get into Zechariah. I'm curious, uh, Kevin, how you pronounce this one as well. Probably little Zeki, little Raya... You know, so anyway, this is great. This is what happens when you teach the minor prophets so much. This is just really fun. Okay, so the universal tradition, we know this is typically, yes, everybody thinks Jews and Christians would say that the prophet Zechariah, yes, is the actual title and is, ready for this, the author. Kevin, do you remember who Zechariah's buddy is? Heggy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, his name has been mentioned more than 29, 29 uh, times, okay? And it means... The Lord remembers. Okay? Now remember, <laughs> uh, the name of the prophet typically always ties in. We've had the Lord embraces. Remember? Hide me, Lord. The Lord is, uh, hides us in this process. Now, some would say, and you know, it's a little bit up in the air, but you know, MacArthur would say this is only second to Isaiah in the breadth of the prophets talking about the Messiah. In Zechariah, you guys, the language is inundated with messianic language. That's why to me, when I hear, I have four chapters in Zechariah in one day, I get really frustrated because you're like, yeah, but we want to, we want to paint a whole picture of the Messiah. And like, there's so much here. And it is one of by far my favorite Old Testament uh, books because there's so much that it talks about the coming Jesus Christ. It's unbelievable. Uh, in fact, it's probably one of the most uh, impactful texts that we'll get to later this week. Uh, just so you know, we have the kings and the prophets. Kevin, you're on it. Thanks. Like Jeremiah and Ezekiel, Zechariah was also a priest. Kind of an interesting language, Kevin, that we don't typically think of a prophet as a priest, right? That's kind of the language, but this is typical form and fashion. Now, I do like this. And MacArthur said something I've never, I've never seen before. And I think it's an interesting perspective. According to tradition, Zechariah was a member of what they would call the Great Synagogue. Okay, it was a council of 120 originated by Nehemiah. Okay, so that's kind of already puts together a time frame. Uh, uh, excuse me, originated by Nehemiah and then presided by Ezra. Interesting, the council later became what's called the Sanhedrin. Just kind of an interesting introduction to how the Sanhedrin developed what started as the great synagogue then became more. Uh, many would say that Zechariah was born in Babylon and joined his grandfather, Ido, Ido, right? Kind of a cool picture here in the group of exiles who first returned to Jerusalem under the leadership of Zerubbabel and Joshua, the high priest that we've already referenced in yesterday. So think about this. I mean, he's coming back. He's that first wave, right, Kevin? Remember this, that first wave that's coming into it. And it was a thought that his father, Berechiah, died at an early age before he could succeed his father to the priesthood. So you kind of have possibly some family going away, but then he has to learn all of this. Now, Zechariah's opening words are dated in, in Zechariah 1.1 from 520 BC, the second year of Darius I. The Persian emperor, remember this, Cyrus, he died. He was succeeded by an individual. I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name. <laughs> he then conquered Egypt. Now, in this, that guy actually killed himself and then had no son. So, hence, enter in Darius, who came to the throne 
by uh, beginning to develop a revolution. Zechariah was a contemporary to Haggai. We've already talked about this. <clears throat> they began to prophesy uh, two months after Darius was into the power. Uh, Zechariah was called a young man in Zechariah 2.4. And most would think because of this language of a young man that he was possibly younger than Haggai. Okay, so again, we don't fully know this, but it could be that same language. Okay, so in all of this, the length of his ministry, we really don't know. Uh, the last dated prophecy in Zechariah 7.1 came approximately two years after the first prophecy, making them identical in time with Haggai's prophecy. So they're really running, you guys, parallel. So up here on your screen, you have, Kevin, we talked uh, yesterday about Haggai. Today we're going into Zechariah. They literally, I mean, this is a James and John deal. So this is kind of a bigger picture of Zechariah. Okay. His heart was for the Lord. His heart was, let's build this. His heart was to come before the Lord at all times. Now, in 538 BC, Cyrus, the king of Persia, he freed the captives from Israel to resettle in their homeland. We've already gone over this. And about how many returned from, to, from Babylon? What is 50,000? Good, Kevin. What is 50,000? Immediately, they began to rebuild the temple. Again, I want you to have this understanding. I, I almost want to draw this all out again. I'm not going to. <laughs> But remember all of the orders of the tabernacle and Solomon's temple, and then it goes to Zerubbabel's temple, right? How this all of this builds. So in this process, right, they're coming, they rebuild the temple right away. But opposition came in. 16 years later, Zechariah and Haggai said, guys, we got to build this thing. As a result, 516 BC, the temple was built. Okay, the temple was rebuilt. And really, it was motivated because of two guys, Haggai that we talked about yesterday and Zechariah. Here's the difference between Haggai's and Zechariah's. I think this is kind of a fun fact. MacArthur would say it this way. Haggai told him to rebuild the temple. But the problem was, is that there was a tone of rebuke in Haggai. Okay, there's a tone of, hey, guys, I need you to (laughs) turn to the Lord. Zechariah says, keep building the temple. Yes, but this time there's, a, there's more of a, a positive emphasis, okay, as much as you can get into. And that someday, Zechariah says, the Messiah is going to come and inhabit this temple. Man, that's why I love Zechariah. All right, so guys, shall we? Zechariah 1, what you begin to see in the first six verses is that God really is saying, guys, I need everybody to repent. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, son of Ido. The Lord was extremely angry with your ancestors. So tell the people, this is what the Lord of hosts says. Return to me. This is the declaration of the Lord of hosts and I will return to you. So it's, it's pretty simple. You return to me. I'll return to you. It's the book of James. You draw near to me. I'll draw near to you. Like this is a pattern that we should begin to see in our own lives. And in verse four, here's what the scripture says. Don't be like your ancestors. The earlier prophets proclaimed to them. In other words, these major prophets, you guys, Isaiah and Jeremiah, they have released the words. They already proclaimed to them. This is what the Lord of hosts says. Turn from your evil ways and your evil deeds. Ah, but they didn't listen or pay attention to me. This is the Lord's declaration. Verse five says, where are your ancestors now? And do the prophets live forever? No, man, they're they're dead. But didn't my words and my statutes that I commanded my servants and prophets overtake your ancestors? They repented and said, as the Lord of the host proposed to deal with us for our ways and deeds. So he has dealt with us. Scripture then continues on in verse seven. 
Uh, what you're going to begin to see is uh, this language of eight visions that begin to unpack. So the first six verses are talking about, guys, I need you to repent. Now what you're going to see really is this verses seven all the way through chapter six, verse 15. So that's going to take two days for us to unpack this. OK, you're going to begin to see eight visions. And here's the crazy thing is like very rarely do I get visions. Uh, you guys sometimes I'm guessing Kevin a little bit. No dreams. Dreams. Tom, what do you get? Dreams, visions, both. Okay, both. Rich? Both. So here's the deal. All of these visions came in one night. We're going to talk about a guy who's coming tired to work the next day. Tom, that probably explains a lot. (laughs) Eight visions in one night, and it's overwhelming. Now, this first vision, okay, what it's supposed to do, these visions are supposed to actually bring comfort to Kevin. What this language is, is to post-exilic people. Okay, people that are out of captivity, they're coming in to rebuild the temple. These visions are supposed to actually bring comfort to these people. Remember, it's supposed to be a positive mentality. Like there's a a different tone here uh, to the remnant. This is to the remnant that's going back into the promised land. And I'm going to speak some truth into you guys with some hope. Now, the first vision that you have, okay, it's kind of an interesting one, is has to do with, and we can label it different ways, but we're going to list this as uh, the vision of the myrtle trees. Riders... Rider under the myrtle tree. Okay, kind of a cool picture. What you're going to see here in verse 7 is this. On the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month of Shabbat, uh, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, son of Ido. He says this, I looked out in the night and I saw a man riding on a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in the valley. Now behind him, were other horses. Okay, so here's a man on one horse. Following him was a man, uh, others on red horses, sorrel horses, and white horses. Okay, just so you have a picture of this. Red horses, uh, I, wanna, I wrote these out. Red is obviously implying, just going to give you the visual here. Okay, it could imply like a bloodshed or a judgment. Just trying to give you an image of these horses. The white could obviously imply victory, right? And then you have the sorrel, It's kind of interesting color, like a brownish. And that's really a combination of all. So here you have in this process, okay, you have a man on a horse riding through this. And then he says, in verse nine says, I asked, what are these, Lord? The angel who was talking to me, okay, replied. Now, this angel, just so you know, is not the angel of the Lord. Different. So this is just a ministering spirit speaking into Zechariah. And I said, hey, Lord, what are these things? (laughs) The angel, hey, what are these? The angel was talking, he replied, I will show you what they are. Then the man standing among the myrtle trees explained, they are the ones the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. In other words, they're walking to and fro is the mentality. MacArthur describes it as this militant description of angelic movement. And what are they doing? They're literally patrolling on a global scale. Okay, in other words, they're responding to God's will that's going to engage the enemy triumphantly. These are the guys that are setting the tones. And now here it is in verse 11. The man on the red horse, the guys on what are the other colors? Red and white and sorrel horses. They reported to the angel of the Lord standing among the myrtle trees. We have patrolled the earth and right now the whole earth is calm and quiet. Now it says, so that's your picture, Kevin. So right now, everything is calm. That's kind of an interesting picture. So what you're going to see in this, and I love this image, you guys, is that this image of the rider under the myrtle tree, it, what it does is that God is promising, okay, because of this vision, he promises prosperity to Israel. 
Okay, so that's one visual that you'll see from Kevin, what we would call the first vision. You got to understand this is prophetic, so it's going to sound a little squirrely at times. Just kind of like, whoa, I just see a guy on a horse. Here's other horses and angels talking to me. But the next thing you know, they report to the angel of the Lord. Kevin, the angel of the Lord is probably the pre-incarnate Christ himself. So here you have the pre-incarnate Christ saying, hey, guys, by the way, we've patrolled the earth and we're good. I'm in control. And by the way, prosperity is coming to Israel. Like this is the picture that we have. The earth is resting. Now, here's the crazy part. The earth is resting because it's the same mentality, almost like the Israelites. Remember when they get comfortable and God's not going to do any good or evil to us because we're fine or houses are fine. Like the nations really don't think anything's going to happen. So right now, at this point, everything's calm. Wow. And then here it says in verse 12, then the angel of the Lord responded. How long, Lord of hosts, Will you withhold mercy from Jerusalem and the cities of Judah that have been angry with these 70 years? Kevin, you have any idea how you want to unpack that? Verse 12, I'm just going to jump in, Kevin. Verse 12, as you're going, (laughs) I mean, this is an interaction between Jesus and the Father. This is all of the sudden, this is all taking place, right? All of this is going to take place. And the next thing you know, the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ is talking to the father and he's saying, God, how long are you going to withhold mercy from Jerusalem and the cities that you've been angry with for these 70 years? In other words, when are you going to release them? This is what he's saying. When are you going to release Israel from what? Man, I'm telling you what, this is just crazy um, from the Judah's exile. You have Jesus interceding to God on behalf of Israel. Kevin? Well, and it would have been unique because, again, he's seeing this vision. They're kind of being released from exile. So it's the first wave. It's the first wave. So they kind of think they're, I mean, he would have thought this is odd uh, because we're released from exile. That's right. So here is it. We say this promising prosperity. You're going to begin to see how this unfolds of the prosperity. You're right, Kevin. The only thing I want to just say, man, I, Lord, I don't know if we're going to get far, but just watch this. Can you go to Romans 8:34? I mean, here you have the angel of the Lord talking to the Father, saying, "God, when are you going to release it? When, when are you going to bring about mercy?" Romans 8:34 says, "Who is the one who condemns?" Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He is also at the right hand of God. And what does he do? He intercedes for us. Christ is the intercessor. The angel of the Lord is the intercessor, not only for his people, but also for us. And then if you go to Hebrews 7, 25, another picture. And honestly, I never saw this, you guys, in Zechariah 1, 12. Here you have Christ as the intercessor. Hebrews 7, 25 says, therefore, he is always able to save those who come to God through him since he always lives to do what? To intercede for them. So here you have an intercession taking place and he's crying out for prosperity. He's crying out to save his people. So if you go to verse 13, Kevin, of Zechariah 1, the Lord replied after Christ, after the angel of the Lord had talked to the father, the Lord replied very simply with kind and comforting words to the angel who was speaking with me. Now I'm going to summarize because of time. Verse 14, God says, I still love Israel. I still love Jerusalem. That's what he says. I still love them. And in verse 15, he says, yeah, but I'm very angry with the nations that have afflicted them. And then he continues to build this on in 16 and 17. He says, "Okay, because of all this, I'm going to bring about prosperity to my people in Jerusalem. 
So the angel of the Lord intercedes, right? The people and the horses are going out. Everything is okay. And in the middle of this, he's interceding, said, what are you going to do about my people? So the myrtle tree vision, the rider under the myrtle tree image, the myrtle trees, the image is, is that the promises are still coming to Israel. Myrtle's trees are associated with booth making at the Feast of Tabernacles. It's about God's protection, you know, kind of that image of how God has taken care of us. And then in Isaiah 41 and Isaiah 55, myrtle trees are associated with the messianic blessing. So when you see a rider is amongst the, the myrtle trees, you should automatically say, hey, man, God has got our back. God's going to bring this out and he's going to protect us in this process. So I would even just say promises of prosperity. But I just want to add just because of that language of protection as well. Kind of a cool picture here of what God has done. Now, let's begin. Let's let's really kind of continue on here, Kevin, if we can. Let's jump into another vision. Let's jump into uh, the second vision, if we can. Scripture then says this in verse 18. Then I looked up and I saw four horns. Same night. New vision. Okay, right. That guy's kind of like, wow, I just saw a lot right here. Okay. then he gets into the second vision. Then I looked up and I saw four horns. Now, right away, you should just automatically know horns are a symbol of power and pride. It can also represent a Gentile ruler and it can also represent a nation. It says in verse 19, so I asked the angel, not the angel of the Lord, but I asked another angel, the one that we've been talking to and interacting with, who is speaking with me? What are these? <laughs> what are these horns? And he said, these are the horns that scattered Judah, Israel and Jerusalem. Now, you can take this a couple different ways, okay? I'm going to take the one view that I don't believe in, but I'm just going to tell you here's a view, okay? It could be the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and the Middle Persians, those that have actually come upon them, that have actually hurt them and crushed them, okay? The other view that I think makes a little bit more sense, based on Daniel 2, is that it could be the Babylonians, the Medo Persians, the Greece, and the Romans, the four powers, Remember, Kevin, when we had that visual about the powers? And so all of a sudden, these powerful kingdoms that are coming in, possibly more than likely are the ones that then actually truly brought about the scattering. And then here's what I love. So you have what's called the four horns, four horns, and the four craftsmen, not from Sears. It says in verse 20, Then the Lord showed, showed me four craftsmen. Okay, so we just talked about four, quote-unquote, horns, powers, nations, Gentile rulers, this thing. Then, I, then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. And this is really awesome. And then I asked, what are they coming to do? <laughs> and he replied, these are the horns that scattered Judah so that no one could raise his head. These craftsmen have come to terrify them, to cut off the horns of the nations that raised their horns against the land of Judah to scatter it. In other words, Kevin, what you can expect is just, it's this, is that... Uh, I mean, I should ask you to get this this chart. Remember how it went from one kingdom and then another kingdom came in, wiped that kingdom out. So the Assyrians, Babylonians come in. But the point is, in this language, what you begin to see here is let me write these down because I think it's uh, it's pretty helpful here. Let me go there really quick. So you're going to see it goes right. Babylon. Medo-Persians. Then you see Greece, right? And then you see Rome. And I think one of the images you have to see is, Kevin, what happens? These guys take out these guys. These guys take out these guys. These guys take out these guys. That's that's the hammer. God uses these to take out the other. And all of them are against Israel. (laughs) 
So there you have two visions, right? Four horns, four craftsmen. So what you're going to see is, and I want to just make sure we, we see this one here, is that in this, God promises to judge. God promises to judge the nations who do what? Attack Israel. This is huge. So we have two visions so far that we've only covered in Zechariah 1. Okay. I'm going to attempt to summarize Zechariah 2, 3, and 4 because we have more visions, you guys. And so what you're going to see is the third vision here. And you're going to hear Josh Edwards tomorrow. He's going to come in and build on these eight visions that we already have. Right. So we have one, two. Now we have a third one. And this third vision is, is a man with a measuring line. Kind of almost makes you think you guys right away. Remember of Amos? Remember just kind of that. It's just kind of a cool picture here. A man comes in with a measuring line. And here's what I want to just tell you now. The whole point of what you're going to see here is that God's. Remember, all this has to. It wants to have a positive approach is that God wants to what? Rebuild. He wants to rebuild. Jerusalem. I'm going to bring prosperity and protection I'm going to promise to protect you from all the people around. I'm going to bring judgment against those nations. And guys, we're going to reestablish Jerusalem. And in fact, what you're going to see here, Kevin, in verse one uh, in uh, Zechariah 2, 1, I looked up, I saw a man with a measuring line in his hand. Verse two, it says this. Where are you going? (laughs) Wouldn't that be awesome? Just a dialogue in your vision here. He answered me to measure Jerusalem to determine its width and its length. In other words, Jerusalem's going to be rebuilt. During Zechariah's day, during Haggai's day, we're going to see this come to fruition. And it continues on in this dialogue. And the angel who was speaking with me went out and another angel went out to meet with him. What a great picture, right? And all of this is talking about rebuilding Jerusalem, okay, in Zechariah's time. Now, when you get to verse 10 of Zechariah 2.10, it says this, Daughter Zion, shout for joy and be glad, for I am coming to dwell among you. This is the Lord's declaration. This is what's cool. Jerusalem will be established and restored. And remember yesterday, you guys, we talked about Haggai being uh, the greater temple. This is what we're talking about. I'm going to actually dwell in, what an incredible picture here, of the coming kingdom. This is the coming temple. I'm going to dwell among you. The presence of the glory of God through Christ is going to take place. Again, it says, yes, I'm going to rebuild now, and yes, more to come. Remember, I talked about how the book of Zechariah has so many messianic references. Guys, this would be one of them. When you get into verse 11, this is a really fun picture here about a man with a measuring line, a man with a measuring line, because Jerusalem's going to be rebuilt. Now watch this. Many nations will join themselves to the Lord on that day and become my people. The nations are going to come and what? Worship in Jerusalem. I will dwell there among them. I'll dwell among you and you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Kevin, is it, this just gets fun after a while. Very rarely do you hear a message of positive, right? But hey, by the way, with the rider, I'm going to bring prosperity and protection. With the four horns and the four craftsmen, I'm going to crush the nations that are going to come against you. In the man with the measuring line in, in Zechariah 2, I'm going to rebuild Jerusalem. Now, let's keep going. In Zechariah 3, we can get to a fourth vision. Okay, Zechariah uh, 3, if you would, really verses 1 through 7. It's kind of an interesting language. Uh, Some people would describe this as, um, I'll just put it as the high priest. It's kind of the language I'll put right now. There's a vision of a high priest. 
Some would also just say in, in writing this, there's a cleansing that takes place with the high priest. So I'm just going to circle that. And what that is, is that God, okay, does the purifying. God purifies the high priest and the people. Again, another positive message. If you're rebuilding Jerusalem, now let's re-establish uh, uh, really the religious component of everything, right? The high priest and the people are going to be purified. And in fact, verse 1, if you'll go there, then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. Joshua standing before Christ, the pre-incarnate Christ, with Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. Isn't that crazy? Satan is standing beside Christ and they're looking at Joshua the high priest and they're challenging him. And Joshua is truly a representation of the nation of Israel, right? That's really what it's like. And then in verse two, then uh, it says, the Lord, the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. May the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Isn't this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? In other words, they're, they're being rescued, you guys. The, the, the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ is saying, I'm here to rescue them. And in verses three through seven, I got to just communicate what J. Vernon McGee says. Neither Joshua nor Israel were contenders with Satan while clothed in their own righteousness. They must be clothed. I love this with the righteousness of Christ. And even a new patch on the old garment will not avail. And so what I love in all of this is that literally God is going to bring about purification to the high priest and all of the people. Uh, in all of this, let me just add, there's the branch as well. I'm just going to put this in here. <laughs> in verse 8, Kevin, every one of these is a messianic reference. Here you have, it says, these men are a sign that I'm about to bring my servant the branch. Yes, that's in reference to, what do you know? A familiar figure of Christ. He's my servant. Another language. Whew. And then in verse 10, all of this then refers to the kingdom age. Each one of you will invite his neighbor to sit under this vine and fig tree. This is the declaration of the Lord of hosts. Okay, I have literally flown through this. Okay, simply because I got to get to Zechariah 4 still, where you have one more vision that we're going to cover in today's text. And what you're going to see is in this one, and they really combine these, okay, is that you're going to see the lampstand and two olive trees. Okay, this is going to be your fifth vision. Same night. Zechariah is receiving these visions. This is the fifth one. And what you'll see, and John MacArthur says in all of this, is that God, this is a really fun one to me, because these are images, very powerful images. God rebuilds, Gavin, the temple. So we've talked about protecting and bringing prosperity for Israel. God promises to take care of the nations that are against Israel. God's going to rebuild Jerusalem. He's going to purify the high priest and the people. And oh, by the way, he's going to rebuild the temple. All right, this is a, a big picture of what we see, but here's what I want you to understand. All of this, all of this is going to be reestablished. All of this are going to experience this, you guys. True revival doesn't come until Zechariah 12.10. He says, Then I'll pour out a spirit of grace and prayer in the house of David and the residents of Jerusalem, and they will look at me whom they pierced. They'll mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly for him as one weeps for a firstborn. We're going to unpack this all throughout the week. But I just want to say this. All of these visions, you guys, are going to point to one person. The pierced one. Which is Christ Jesus himself. And look at Mindy's painting. All of these visions 
are based on when the Jewish people realize that Christ is the pierced one. John 19, 37 says, also another scripture says, they will look at the one they pierced. All right, guys, this has been the initial stages and waves of a fire hose called Zechariah. I'm excited, though, because there's so much here that points to the potential for the people of God, the Jewish people, God's chosen people. All right, guys, have a great day. We'll talk to you tomorrow.